Well, I know uh, a few weeks back I I told you all, um, because I am a man of prayer and God listens to the prayers of his people, that Super Bowl Sunday would be the Vikings um, chant. We would be here, we would be winning the Super Bowl, and obviously that's not true. So take that as you will. Um, <laughs> I'm just glad, glad to be here with you. So glad. I, I enjoy uh, this so much. It is a blessing to be here. Um, thank you. Um, and I would like to start off with just a prayer, and then we are going to uh, dive into things um, this morning. But let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his uh, blessing to be um, on us this morning as I bring uh, God's word to us as a church. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, your word is um, the food that our soul needs. Jesus, you tell us that we don't live by bread alone, but by your very words, God. And we know that the scriptures are your very words, all of them, all of it. Um, as Timothy, as Paul wrote to Timothy, as God breathed and is profitable for us as your people. God, I pray for each and every person here this morning, including myself. God, I I pray for the spirit of the living God to meet us here through the preaching of your word. God, your word said it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts to bone and marrow. In other words, it gets to the very depths and core of our heart and being, to the dark places in our soul and spirit. It is transforming. God, and so my prayer this morning is for transformation for us, for your people. God, I thank you that these aren't just words from your scripture, but they're promises that you give to us. You promise to do these things through your mighty word and through the proclamation of the gospel. God, I thank you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I once heard a friend tell me that uh, uh, being a a Christian, living the Christian life was easy. And I I, I remember thinking, I don't know if you've really done that, done it that long. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's easy. I think, in fact, God calls us as Christians, as his people, to take risks for him. I think we we see the disciples who literally walk with Jesus every day, like Jesus is there with them, and they still have difficulty. And what we're going to see this morning, that because that's true, because life is hard, following Christ is difficult, we are called to do difficult things, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, which is what we're going to talk about today, Um, if this works, maybe. Well, we'll have to get a new battery for this. Um, So I'll just, um, if we don't have anyone up there. So we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And if someone would love to grab me one single AAA battery, that would be great. Yeah, I should have preached on technical difficulties. (laughs) But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14 this morning when Jesus walks on the water. And if life is truly difficult... Um, we're going to see that we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. If he calls us to do hard things, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I I have a a close friend who he um, had a good job in a church, and he felt uh, called to go and plant a church in Duluth, Minnesota, which is one of the least church cities in the Midwest. And I was talking with him about uh, this thing, and um, thanks, Don. 
And, um, you know, I remember asking, I said, Kyle, you know, why, why are you going to Duluth, Minnesota, leaving your job as a pastor uh, to go plant a church? Um, and he talked about the need for it. Um, and, and, and as I've been talking with him, you know, he said, uh, planting a church is hard. Um, and it's been difficult, and it's surely hard if I don't keep my eyes fixed on Christ. He said, he said if I didn't, I'm just surely, I'm going to drown. And I think that's true for us. When we do difficult things for Jesus, living for God calls us to do that, um, glorifying him through our actions, finding our joy in him, following the mission of Christ, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus sometimes calls us to step out in faith as we're going to see this morning, into the chaos of this world. And we need Christ by our side. So the text we're going to look at this morning um, is going to be Luke, or it's going to be Matthew. Um, okay, apparently it just doesn't work at all. It's going to be Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses um, 22 through 32. And we're going to see... Um, that right before the scene, Jesus has fed 5,000 people. He's been doing a bunch of ministry. Um, he's exhausted. He's tired. And he needs a vacation. Um, I think maybe we've all been there. And so what he's going to do is he's going to send the 12 disciples across the lake, and he's going to go take some time to uh, just spend some time alone. And so that's where we pick up our text in verse 22. And so Jesus, it says this, he's going to send his disciples across the lake. It says this, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So after Jesus has spent some time ministering, he's going to send the 12 across, and he uses a very, very strong word here. It says, he made the disciples get into the boat and go over to the other side. Now, this word, it basically means he forced. This wasn't a matter of like, you know, hey, guys, go over there. He's like, no, you need to go over to the other side of the lake. He compels them to go over there to get in the boat. Why does Jesus do that? He needs some time to pray. He needs some time to get alone. Spend some time with God. So Jesus sends them away, as he often does, and he goes up into the hill country uh, to pray, just to, to have some alone time with God. Now, who here this morning has ever felt like they need some alone time with God? Most of you. So you, you can understand where Jesus is coming from. I, th I think this is true for us. As we minister to others, as we do what God calls us to do, we need to rest and take time from our work to pray to God, to be alone with God. Even Jesus needed to do this. So he takes a break. He takes some time off for silence and prayer. This is important for me. It's important for you. But that's not the point of this text. We're going to get to that in just a second. We'll go to the next slide, please. It says that Jesus, he sends them across the lake, and he's going to join the disciples by rock, walking across the lake. Now, I joked with you a few weeks ago that I believe Jesus is a Minnesotan, and once again, we're on a lake, so I'm just saying. It says this, verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. 
So what's going on here? So you have Matthew is kind of focusing in the text on Jesus. He's praying. He sent the disciples away. And now he zooms out and he goes and he focuses on the disciples. And they are trying to go to the other side of the lake. And things are not going very well for them. They're being beaten by the waves. They're in the middle of the lake. They're trying to get to the other side. It's been a difficult journey. Most of these men are fishermen, so they've probably experienced something like this as veteran fishermen. And I love verse 25. It says this, And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. And I have a picture of this that will go, so it's this, okay? Now, the fourth watch, by the way, this should have been in the middle, like 2 to 6 in the morning. So it's early morning. Think like the, maybe the sun is just starting to come up or it hasn't come up yet. And Jesus has traveled to them in the middle of the morning. And does he take a boat? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm just like, Jesus, like, what are you doing? But I think he's being very, very intentional here. So Jesus casually takes a stroll across the lake, right? Just try to quantify that in your brain. So he, try, he takes a stroll across the lake, and he's being intentional. We're going to see he did this for a reason. So the disciples notice in the next couple verses there's a person walking across the water. Let's go to the next slide, please. It says this, verse 26. But when the disciples see him, Jesus... Walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. At first, the Greek word here is phantom, like it means phantom or ghost. So at first, you know, you, just imagine, you wake up in a boat as you've been fighting a storm, it's 4.30 in the morning, and you see someone walking on the lake. Tell me you wouldn't be afraid. You would be scared to death. <laughs> right? This is just a natural reaction. Who's ever seen someone come walking across a lake while you're in the boat? No one, right? I mean, you would be scared to death. So, right, we're going to give the disciples a pass on that. They're struck with fear, but Jesus says, don't worry, it's not a ghost. It's me, and, and here I am. I've come out to you in the boat, and this is where things get really, really interesting in the story. Let's go to the next slide, please. So we're going to see that Peter steps out in faith. This is what it says. So Jesus is standing out in the water. He just came to them. It's 4.30 in the morning, probably somewhere on there. And Peter answered him, Lord, if you command me to come to you on the water, and he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I want to stop by asking a question. Whose idea was it for Peter to come on the water? It's Peter's idea. Peter is a bold dude, sometimes for the best and sometimes for the worst. Um, he was kind of set himself as a leader among the disciples. Um, that, you know, Jesus tells them not to fear, and Peter is immediately like, he's immediately like, okay, Tell me to come out to you, Jesus. Like, like, tell me to come and walk on the water. It, he kind of reminds me, like, I did youth ministry for a long time. He reminds me of middle school boys. I could get them to eat anything. When I, like, like 
we would do like gross eating games. If I knew I needed a volunteer, guess who was raising their hands? The six, seven, oh, I'll do it, I'll eat it, right? I'll do that, right? He kind of, Peter kind of reminds me of a middle school boy in some ways, um, but he's bold, so, sometimes to his own detriment, but he's bold. And so Peter's like, you know what? Jesus, tell me to come out and walk on the water to come and meet you there. So what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat in the stormy seas and he steps out onto the water to meet Jesus. And he doesn't just like put a foot out. No, no, no. He he walks on the water to meet Jesus. Jesus probably isn't right by the boat, right? If you're looking and you're seeing someone walking on the seas, he's probably a ways up. So Peter is walking on the water to meet Jesus. Go to the next slide, verse 30. But what happens? But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning, and, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now we need to do a little bit of unpacking here. What is going on here? Why did Jesus come to them in a boat by walking on the water? Why did Peter uh, come out and go to meet Jesus? What's going on here? There is a lot of history we need to unpack. So hang with me here for just a second because Jesus is going to be making a point about who he is that the disciples are going to very, very clearly pick up on. As, as, as Jewish men, as, as followers of Jesus, or of Yahweh, um, as, as being followers of God. So there's a long history of God's people and the Israelites and water. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, the seas were used as examples of chaos that needed to be tamed by Yahweh. You look at this in the Genesis, the creation account. The spirit hovered over the seas and tamed them after the creation. The seas were dangerous. They played a huge role in Israel's history. Remember, God flooded the whole earth, the seas, because of man's disobedience and killed all the inhabitants of the earth and saved who? Noah and his family and one of each animal so they could reproduce. God used the seas to swallow up Pharaoh's army. When, when Jonah was disobedient and didn't obey God, what happened? A storm came up on the seas with the boat. And they're like, you know, Jonah's like, throw me in. This is my fault. And he gets thrown into the seas. We find this example of the seas being dangerous and calamitous throughout the entire Old Testament. In the prophets, they're used to describe the evil and evil ways of the nations. Example, Isaiah 17, 12 through 14, it says this. Alas, the uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas, and the rumbling of the nations who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters, but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff in the mountains before the wind, like whirling dust before a gale. So, and the mind of God's people, whenever the seas are going on, it's showing God's sovereignty. And so God's a powerful ruler over the elements of the chaos that the seas commonly depict. Jeremiah 5.22 and Job 7.12. 
God is depicted as putting barriers around the seas. Nahum 1.4, Habakkuk 3.8, Isaiah 44.27. God is depicted as rebuking the wickedness of the waters. Psalm 29 paints a portrait of God who sits enthroned above a cosmic sea. And Isaiah 51, 9-10, very literally uses a metaphor which describes the Lord fighting the mythological sea creatures that Israel's neighbors believed in. So if we take that into mind, the sea is often a metaphor for chaos and and disorder and wickedness, but God is always portrayed as sovereign over it. Now I believe here we have Jesus walking across the waters in the storm, inviting uh, Peter, the, the, Peter inviting himself to come out, and the imagery that Jesus is showing us is that he is the one that is sovereign over creation, including the chaos of the seas and the world and the disorder and the nations. All of that imagery is tied up in this. And we, how do, why do I think this? We can see this by the disciples' response, which I'm going to get to in just a minute here. But what happens to Peter is he steps out into the chaos of the seas and the waters are churning beneath his feet and he looks down, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks down and he becomes deathly, deathly afraid. Deathly afraid. Why? He took his eyes off of Christ and looked at the chaos of the world around him. Isn't that true for us as well? When we are in the storms and the chaos of life and we take our eyes off of Jesus, what happens? We're filled with fear and frightened. And Peter begins to doubt who, what he's doing. Doubt Jesus, the seas, the chaos, the world. It begins to overwhelm him. And what happens? He begins to sink down into the depths of the sea. I think I have a picture of that up there as well. If we go to the next slide, maybe. Okay, that's the one. Okay, thank you. You're ahead of me, the game on me. Appreciate that. He sinks. Now, I have a silly example, so just track with me. We experience this all the time in our own lives, right? Um, a, a couple of months back, we uh, were speaking of vacation stuff. We were going to Minnesota. Um, it was right after Christmas. We were going to go visit my parents. And um, we, we get in the car and we start to go. And, and the, the, the night before, um, uh, Ella had wanted to buy our dog a special treat for Christmas. So we bought him this thing, a canned dog food, and he ate it and he was great. Well, it didn't agree with the stomach. So we're driving, our six-hour drive, and I have a dog who starts throwing up and pooping everywhere, okay? So, and right at that time, it starts to snow. So now I have a dog who's getting sick in the car over and over. We're stopping every 10 minutes to try to get him out to the bathroom. And you think that's bad. So we got snow, we got dog. Well, at one point in time, he jumped up in Ella's lap and threw up on her. So now, now we have a dog who's throwing and, and pooping, and pardon the language, defecating in the car. And, and every time he does, I have a girl who's screaming, and rightfully so, because she's traumatized, as any of us would be. And, and, and it's a snowstorm, and it's like, and it's like did, did, I, did I stop and pray? No. 
I got mad and I got frustrated and I was angry and I was like, are we even going to make it there? This is like the worst moment of my life. And it really wasn't, but it felt that way. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, this is the worst. And then you get through it and you're like, eh, it wasn't that bad. But this is just a silly example that points to the reality, the truth, that when life gets difficult and chaotic and it's hard, we don't naturally fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't naturally do it, I don't think. We begin to focus on the messy situation we are surrounded in, uh, which is true of me. I think it's probably true of you, and it certainly was true of Peter, as we just saw. What does Jesus do? Next slide. Does he let, does he let Peter sink? No. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? As soon as Peter begins to sink, Jesus is right there and snaps him back up. He doesn't let him drown. It doesn't say that Peter strengthened his faith first. No, no, no. Peter is fearful, panicking. There's chaos all around him. And Jesus reaches him down and pulls him back into safety. Now, this is where I said I was going to get, and this is where this is really interesting. How did the disciples respond? Verses 32 and 33. What does it say? It says this. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is the first time the disciples worshipped Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew. This is the first time they worship Jesus. Why are they worshiping Jesus here? They've seen him heal people. They've seen him feed people just last scene. Like he just fed 5,000 people. Uh, they've seen him do amazing things. Teach. Why are they worshiping Jesus now? Because he, they know he's God. He calmed the sea. He walked across it. He's sovereign even over that. Only God can do that. And they know that he's God. No Jewish man would have worshipped anything other than God. It's blasphemy. It deserved the death penalty in their culture. And they worshipped Jesus because he's sovereign over even the seas. They worshipped him and so should we. They Peter took a step of faith, a difficult step of faith. He failed, but in all this happening, it revealed who Jesus was. Now, what does this matter for us? Well, a few different things. Number one is this. Jesus calls us to take bold steps of faith. I love that Peter said, Jesus, tell me to come out to you. It wasn't Jesus' idea, it was Peter's idea. And I think part of the purpose of this, of this section in Matthew is to challenge us to trust in Jesus, the sovereign king of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, to be bold and step out in faith for Jesus. That's what God is saying to us. And we can do it. We can do it because we can trust Jesus. I love that Peter says, tell me to come to you, Jesus. When was the last time you said, Jesus, ask me to do something hard in your prayers? Jesus, tell me to do something difficult for you. Tell me to take a bold leap of faith, Jesus. I think oftentimes we think in terms about the minimum. What's the minimum I can do to get into heaven? 
What's the minimum I can do to be a Christ follower and continue to walk with Jesus? What's the least I can do and still sneak into the back door of the kingdom of God? Don't ask what's the least I can do. Ask what is the most I can do. Be bold, brother and sister in Christ. Be bold. Like my mentor Kyle, I mentioned in the beginning, who went and planted a church in one of the least church cities in the U.S., leaving a good pastoral position. He did it because God called him to do, and it's made a massive difference. And in the last 15 years, it has reached hundreds of people for Christ. Planting churches statistically reaches more people than, than, than established churches. Here's the thing. No one remembers those who did the least. No one remembers that. But those who are bold for Christ take deep, lasting steps of faith, stepping out to follow Jesus, you leave a lasting legacy of faith. Man, I want to speak directly to you this morning. I want to ask you the question, how can you be bold in your faith? How can you take a bold step of faith? Not doing the least, but doing the most for the kingdom of God. I want you to take risks, men. You are meant to be risk takers. You are not meant to just sit idly by and just watch things happen. You are meant to take risk for the kingdom of God. I want you to go home and I want you to pray and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I want to take a bold step of faith for it. You tell me, I'll go. We are meant to be risk takers. Be bold in leading your family, men. If you own a business, be a bold Christian, business owner, innovator, cultural creator. If you work for another person or company, be a bold witness. Be intentional. Maybe some of you, God is calling into to ministry here or another place of some form. Be a missionary where you are at. Let's be bold men of faith like Peter. Don't ask God for the minimum, the least Ask God to use you in big ways. There are, there are young men here who need to be mentored. Find one of them, mentor. Help them to raise them in the faith to follow Jesus. Come alongside of them. Ladies, I want to talk to you too. How can you be bold in raising your children if you have them? Radical, culture-changing Christian children that are going to change this culture for the better. Grandma, same to you. You have grandchildren. How can you be bold in your influence towards them? Sisters in Christ, be bold. Don't ask for an easy thing, an easy life, and, and just a breezy way of living and doing things. Ask God to use you in mighty ways. Make yourself available. God wants to use you. Finally, students, I ask you the same thing. As you are thinking about uh, going to college and going off into life, don't ask for God, what's the easiest path? Where's the easiest direction I go to make the most money, to have the easiest life? Ask God, God, where do you want to use me for the kingdom in the greatest ways? Where do you want to use me so I can make the biggest impact for your kingdom in my life? Maybe God wants you in ministry. Maybe he wants you to be a missionary. Maybe he wants you to, to start a business. But, but ask God, God, where can I make the biggest impact? for the kingdom of God. As you look to college, ask that question. Not how can I have the easiest life. Finally, I have two other points. If we're going to do this, if we're going to be bold living for Jesus, it's going to bring trials, but trials bring joy. And this is what I mean. 
Living for Jesus is hard. It's hard. It brings trials. It led Peter into the chaos of the seas. We see this through the life of the disciples and the early Christ followers. Following Jesus oftentimes leads to trials in this life, but it leads to amazing joy. Peter stepped out in faith and he stumbled. However, if he never stepped out in faith, he would have never had the opportunity to walk on the waters and have Jesus rescue him. Do you think that Peter looked back at that moment later on in life? You bet he did. He looked back at his moment of walking on the seas and he was like, yes, I did that through Jesus' help. I bet Peter thought about that moment often. It probably brought him strength and courage throughout his life. If we don't take risks for Jesus, if we don't take bold steps of faith, we will miss out on the opportunity to do amazing things for God, lasting things. And we will miss out on the great rewards of living for Christ by faith. We must take the risks in order to experience the joy of following Christ with every ounce of our being. Thirdly, lastly, is this. When we do this, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Peter should be praised for his courage to step out in faith, but also failed by taking his eyes off of Christ. He took them off of Jesus and let the chaos of the world just engulf him, and the same thing happens to us. We live in a chaotic world, if you've ever looked around lately. When it happened, he began to sink. It's true for us. As we take bold steps of faith, as we follow Jesus, we must keep our eyes laser-focused, locked on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do we do that? It is simple things I've harped on, and I will continue to read your Bible daily. Pray earnestly to God. Continue to gather together in Christian community as much as possible so we can encourage one another to be bold and share the stories of God being at work amongst us. I would like to close with these words from the great, one of the great hymns of the faith that talks about this. The hymn says this, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior in life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail, and he promised to believe him, and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord Jesus, I love this story. I love Peter's boldness of asking Jesus, tell me to do something hard. Jesus, tell me to step out in faith. I love that the story says that we can do that. We should do that. We're called to do that. And we can do it and trust that Jesus is sovereign and good and was God amongst us, God with us, God in the flesh who's worthy of our worship, who walked on the seas and even calms the seas and the chaos. God, help us to trust more deeply, more abundantly, more radically in you, Lord Jesus.
clinging to you, keeping our eyes fixed on you, so that in turn we can step boldly in faith, doing the things that you call us to, even hard things, difficult things, for your glory, Lord Jesus, and our ultimate joy. Amen.